are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Please stand for the reading of God's word. John 15, 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Well, welcome to Sojourn. Happy New Year to you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, then I'd love to be able to meet you uh, after the service today. Uh, We have our Advent candles out still because today is actually called Epiphany Sunday, which in the church calendar is the Sunday that we uh, commemorate or remember the wise men coming to see Jesus. And so, man, I'm going to hang on to Christmas time as long as I can. So this is the last week we get to have these out. Uh, And if you have your Christmas decorations up still, then that's okay too. Um, But before we dive into our our sermon today, before we dive into our text, let's just go to the Lord in in prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your mercies are not new every year, but are new every morning. And God, we thank you for the gift it is to gather together. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word now, that you would show us mercy. God, that you would give us grace. Help us today as we look at this text in John 15 to see and savor Jesus, not only in this moment, but as we walk out of these doors and go into the midst of our lives this week and into this year. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in and through this time for your glory, our joy, and for the good of others. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here we are, the beginning of a new year, and man, 2020, whew, a hot mess. So many challenges in so many different ways for so many different things that we don't need to go and think about over again. But that kind of brings a question up, at least it did for me over this week, is what's 2021 going to be like? I mean, part of me is, is hopeful for this year that it'll be a better year than what 2020 was overall. But I also found myself being realistic and thinking, man, I, I don't really know. I don't really know if this year is going to be better or worse, if it's going to be easier or difficult. I don't know what the year will entail. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
But that's why I'm thankful that we're jumping back into our Seeing Jesus sermon series. This sermon series in the Gospel of John where we're walking through it. We've actually been in this series. We started this in September of 2019. And here we are in 2021. And Lord willing, we'll finish it up right around Easter of this year. In this series, we've been seeking to ask and answer a question, the most important question that any of us could ask or any of us can answer for our own lives, and that is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? I mean, there's so many misconceptions about Jesus, so many different ideas about Jesus in our world, in our culture. And even for those of us that are followers of Christ, there are times when our ideas and concept of who Christ is is skewed or a little bit off. And that's why we want to strive to see Jesus rightly. That we'd actually open up his word and understand more of who Jesus is. So that in seeing Jesus rightly, we might follow him fully in our lives. So I'm thankful that we get to start this year off doing just that. I'm also thankful that the text we get to begin the year with together is in John 15. A text that I really believe will help us to know Jesus, see Jesus, and follow him in the days ahead, no matter what this year brings for each of our lives, our community, our country, and our world. And what we're going to see in these few verses is this. This is kind of the big idea of what we're going to see in our text today, is that abiding in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. Abiding in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus, and it's all for your joy his glory, and the good of others. So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, I really believe God has something he wanna commu- wants to communicate with you today. He wants to speak into your life today through the preaching of his word, something that will maybe challenge you or encourage you or help you as you continue on your spiritual journey. And I hope and I pray that that journey is to Jesus and with Jesus and for Jesus in 2021. So with that, let's dive into John 15, and may we see him more clearly today. The Gospel of John is the Apostle John telling the story of Jesus' life and ministry. If you want to know who Christ is, if you want to know who Jesus is, then we can spend time in this book of the Bible to really gain a better picture of that. And where we find ourselves in the story is in the final week of Jesus' life before he heads to the cross to be crucified. And in this moment, he's spending time with his disciples, his closest followers, those who've left everything to follow after him. And he's spending time with them to continue to guide them and teach them. Because Jesus knows that his followers, just like you and I, find themselves in a world that's set against God. So he's instructing them. He's coming alongside of them. So last time we were in John, right before the Advent season started, we were in John 15 verses 1 through 8 where Jesus told his disciples and told us to abide in him. Now the word abide means that we're going to remain or to connect or to stay, to dwell with or dwell in. So if you and I are going to abide in Jesus, that means we have to stay connected to Jesus. We need to remain in Jesus. And he used this wonderful illustration of the vine and the branches, that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing That when we actually abide in him and remain in him, it's then that we're able to thrive. Then that we're able to actually bear much fruit in our lives. Well, as we come to our text today, we see Jesus continue on this theme of abiding. And he's speaking to his closest disciples that are gathered in this room with him. But he's speaking to us as well. Especially if we call ourselves followers of Christ. 
And what he shows us is that first part in this first section here of what we just looked at. Abiding in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. To begin, he reminds them and us of something that all of us need to be reminded of regularly and constantly in our own lives, and that is his love. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, these 11 disciples in the room, they needed that to be reiterated to them, and we need it to be reiterated to us now because it's so easy for us in a world full of distractions, in a world that has constant competing messages coming at us of where you and I can find our identity, where we can find our value, that it's easy for us to forget in those moments the surpassing love of Christ for us. So what kind of love is it that Jesus has for his followers well, he says it's the same kind of love the Father has for him. But what kind of love is that? What kind of love does God the Father have for Christ his Son and even for us his people? Well, over and over again in the Old Testament, we see that God's love is described as a steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word chesed. And that word love, God's love here, the steadfast love of God, it's a, it's a faithful love. It's a long-term love. It's a reliable, loyal kind of love. God's love isn't fickle or feeble. It doesn't wax and wane. It doesn't ebb and flow. It's strong and it's consistent because God's love is not rooted in circumstances. It's not even rooted in the object of his love. God's love is rooted in his unchanging character and nature. That's the love that the Father has for the Son, that the Father has for all of his people, and it's the love that the Son, that Jesus has for his followers, for you, if you are in Christ. Now that in and of itself is encouraging. At least I hope it's encouraging to you, that you could spend this week just contemplating on that, that God's love for you, that Christ manifests to us, it's reassuring Especially as we find ourselves in a culture that often attaches love and lovableness to your abilities or your achievements or your outward appearance. But we see in this is that God's love, Jesus' love for you is nothing like that. It isn't really based on you at all. It's the overflow of who Jesus is. You didn't make yourself lovable for Jesus. We see that Jesus in verse 16 says he chose you. He sought you out to place his love on you. So if you love God, if you love Jesus, it's because he loved you first. That he came to you, he sought you out when you weren't looking for him. And he loved you when you didn't deserve it. So Jesus calls us then to abide in this kind of love, this steadfast love, in his love. There's that word again, abide. Before, he told us to abide in him. Now he says, abide in my love, remain in my love. Now, why would he say that? I mean, why does that matter? Why does he kind of draw out this additional kind of nuance to abiding, not just in Jesus, but also in his love? Well, as I was thinking about it this week, two characteristics came to mind for me, two reasons came to mind for me of why it's important for us to abide not just in Jesus, but in his love. And it's this, that Jesus' love provides a sheltering presence and a stabilizing force. A sheltering presence and a stabilizing force. If you are in Christ, if you've placed all of your hope and all of your faith and all of your trust in him, believing that he is who he says he is and came to do what he said to came, he came to do, which was to live a perfect life of obedience 
for you and then to go to a cross to die in your place, the death that you deserve to die for your sin and your rebellion and then rose again from the grave. If you've placed all of your hope in Jesus, then you are in Christ. He's transferred you out of the kingdom of death and darkness and placed you in his kingdom, a kingdom of light and life. And that's true for you, yet what is also true for us is that we remain in this world, a world that's set against God. And life in this world can often feel like a raging storm, a choppy sea. It's not always stable and calm sailing that we find ourselves in. We're surrounded by temptation and difficulty and confusion, so many different messages and things coming at us constantly. But when we abide in Jesus' love, it provides a sheltering presence for our lives. It's like being under a, a secure structure that protects you from the winds and the rain, the cold and the heat. Jesus' love is a safe harbor of peace because it's a safe harbor where Jesus is present, never to leave you, never to forsake you or abandon you, always to go with you and before you. Abiding in his love is also a stabilizing force in our lives. When you feel tossed to and fro in the midst of life, Jesus' love grounds you in what is true, in what is right, in what is good. Jesus' love doesn't let you wander and drift away. It gives you a rootedness. It provides a, a ballast to your life. Ballast on a ship is kind of the bottom area of the ship where it's weighted to help provide balance for a ship on water. So when temptations of life come at you, when culture comes raging at you, Jesus' love is a stabilizing force for you that keeps you from capsizing, that keeps you from shipwrecking. Because Jesus' love reminds you of something so important that all of us need to remember in our lives, and that is who you are and whose you are. That your identity has been changed in Christ that he has welcomed you into his family because he died for you to rescue you. You belong to him. But that also means something else for our lives. It means that you can't live an untethered life. You can't live an untethered life of some kind of supposed freedom or independence apart from the rule and reign of Jesus and still be abiding in him and still be abiding in his love. You have to remain connected to Jesus Abiding leads to obedience, which is why Jesus says what he does in verse 10. He tells us to abide in his love. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is not a conditional statement in the sense that Jesus is telling you that only if you obey will he show love to you. It can be read that way, but that's not what Jesus is communicating here. See, we don't obey in order to be saved or in order to be accepted or in order to be loved. We obey because we have been saved and we have been accepted and we have been loved by Christ. See, what Jesus is saying here is more of a cause and effect kind of statement. That if you obey him, that when you obey him as Lord and as king of your life, then you will remain in his love the sheltering presence, the stabilizing force that it is, instead of wandering away into the wiles and waywardness of our world. He's giving an exhortation to walk in obedience, to walk in obedience to his call and commands because they really are for your good. 
they keep you attached to Jesus. And he is ne- his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Abiding leads to obedience, and obedience helps us to continue to abide, to continue to remain in Christ. See, we're often, I think, tempted to believe that, that calls to obedience and placing our life under the authority of Christ is oppressive and confining. And we come by that honestly. It's what our first parents believed. Adam and Eve believed that they didn't need this authority, that it was, it was kind of crushing them in and wasn't giving them life. But what they missed and what we sometimes can miss is that calls to obedience isn't a crushing of life. It isn't a crushing of freedom or thriving. It's a giving of life and a giving of freedom and a giving of thriving. I mean, we tend to think that we can do better on our own, that we know the way on our own. At least I, I know I do. I can struggle with that, thinking if I see a problem in front of me in my life or in, 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 even in ministry or in the world around me, that I have whatever it takes to figure that out on my own, that I can do better on my own if I just think hard enough and try hard enough and put enough effort into something that it will get better or be better. But you know what? I'm fickle and I'm finite and I'm feeble. I wasn't created to be independent. I wasn't created to be a lone ranger. I was created to be a dependent follower a dependent follower of a faithful, loving, and kind king. A king who came to rescue me out of my sin. A king who came to rescue me from myself. See, Jesus, Jesus can say this because Jesus has done this. He walked with perfect obedience before the Father. He remained in the love of the Father as he sought to walk in worship before him. Abiding in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. And that's certainly for our good, but it's also for our joy. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Man, I love this. Every single time that I am tempted to think that following Jesus is drudgery in my life. A text like this, these words from Jesus, they sober me up. They're a, a gracious smack in the face. To say, no, no, no. It's not drudgery. It's for your joy. It's for your joy. Now, this isn't worldly joy. It's based on circumstances. It's biblical joy. See, biblical joy isn't beholden to circumstances. Biblical joy, real joy, is that soul-level good feeling that's rooted in the unchanging nature and unending grace of our God and Savior. And we get joy when we abide in Jesus and in his love. We get joy when we walk in obedience to him. And it's not just a little bit of joy. God doesn't want to just dole out a little bit here and there as if he has to kind of ration joy out for you. No, he says, I want you to experience the joy that I have in the Father. And I want you to have full joy, complete joy. And life is challenging And even as followers of Jesus, we can struggle to be people of joy. But here, here, Jesus is helping us. He's telling us that you can fight for joy. If you want joy in your life, the way that you're going to have that is by abiding in him and resting in his love and striving to follow him in every aspect of your life. Believing that he is leading you in a way that will honor and glorify our God and be good for you. So how does Jesus summarize what he's just said? Well, he reiterates the new command that he gave his disciples back in John 13. Look at verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Now, in another place in the scriptures, Jesus says that the most important command we can follow is to love God above all. So is he saying something different here? Is he negating what he said earlier? Well, no, he isn't negating it, the command to love God above all. He's showing us the paramount way to do it. John teases this out a little bit more in 1 John 4, which Tom read for us earlier. I want to read 1 John 4, 20 through 21 for us. It says, if anyone says, I love God, you may walk around and say, man, I love God. He's the best. And then John says this, you can say, I love God. But then if you hate your brother, that person is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. He, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, love of God is verified by and in our love for one another. And this is glorifying to our God. So how do we know what kind of love this is? Like, how do I know how I'm supposed to love you and how you're supposed to love me? Well, Jesus reminds us again in verses 13 through 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is telling his disciples, his disciples, whom he's now calling friends, not servants, but friends of his, what he's about to do, that he will display his love by laying his life down for them. That if they want to know what kind of love they're supposed to have for those around them, those they find themselves in community with, it's this kind of sacrificial love. See, Jesus was looking ahead to the excruciating and liberating reality of the cross. That he would go and bear the full weight of the wrath of God on his back for sins, not that he committed, but that the world committed. He was looking ahead to that point when he would go and die that death for sinners like you and me. But you know what? Now we get to look back on it. And get to see the kind of love that has been lavished on us. Jesus' love isn't sentimental love. It isn't selfish love. No, it's sacrificial love. It's selfless love. A love that saw us at our worst in the midst of our rebellion. When we were lost and alone in this world. And came to us to rescue us and restore us and reconcile us to God. Man, our sin destroyed our relationships. Sin destroys our relationship with God. We're separated from him because of our rebellion. But it also destroys our relationship with other human beings that we find ourselves in conflict and difficulty with people. But when you abide in Jesus and his love, it transforms your relationship with God. Now you can be called a friend of Jesus. Like there's only other, two other people in all of scripture in the Old Testament that said that they're friends of God, Moses and Abraham. And now Jesus is saying, if you abide in him, you're his friend. And what an amazing reality. It transforms your relationship with him, but it also transforms your relationships with one another. That you're able to extend mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness and long suffering and bearing with and bearing one another's burdens because Jesus has done that for you that there's no one else that can offend you or sin against you in any greater way than you've already sinned against the Father. So you can love them even as Christ has loved you. And this is the fruit of abiding. And it's a great source of peace, a great source of joy in our lives. So when you find yourself feeling unsure of what to do, when you're 
lacking joy in life, when you're feeling lost or lonely, when you're in the midst of relational conflict with a friend or family member, you can come back to this. You can come back to who Jesus is and receive and rest in his love for you. It's life. It's life for you. But it's not just for you. It's for the good of others as well. It leads to life in other people also. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Listen, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, God didn't choose you only to forgive you, but also to appoint you, just like these 11 disciples, to go and bear fruit that abides. Now this bearing fruit isn't just bearing fruit in general. What Jesus has in mind here is seeing more and more people come to know and follow him. See, our abiding and fruit bearing isn't just for the sake of ourselves. It is even just for our own worship. It's that we might see other people become worshipers of God. That we might see other people experience the joy that we have in Jesus. So how does this come about? Well, he says to go, that you might go and do something. We have to actually go and talk to people. But also by praying. By praying for God to do a work in us and through us that only he can do. I mean, church, what would it look like if this year we prayed regularly, if not daily, by name for a coworker or a neighbor or a family member or a friend and prayed and pleaded with the Father, the one who we know wants to save people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. If we pleaded with him, God, would you save them? Would you bring them to a knowledge of yourself? Would you take the scales off their eyes and unstop their ears? They might see their need for Christ and hear the good news of the gospel. What might God do in that? Might he actually save some people in our lives and in our community this year if we would plead for him to do that kind of work and that he would allow us the privilege to share that message? See, in a world that's set against God, I mean, this is the world we find ourselves in right now, it will lead to, if we desire to actually live this way, to go as appointed people, to bear fruit as we abide in Christ, it's going to lead to opposition. The world doesn't like that. And we're actually going to talk about that more next week as Jesus brings that up. But right now, as we begin this new year, I want to encourage you to be a person. I want to encourage us to be a community that experiences the joy of abiding. I mean, it's possible for you and I to live in this world, even as followers of Christ, and not be mindful of Jesus' love for us. But we can have a head knowledge of what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, but still not see our minds and our hearts captivated by Jesus' heart for you, for us. And when that happens, what we find in our lives is that we find ourselves being pulled in all kinds of different directions to look for love and joy and peace in other people and places and things. People and places and things that will never be able to supply that level of joy in our life. Only Jesus can do that. Only abiding in his love for you can that happen. Now, one of our confident hopes as a church, we have 16 confident hopes, things that we're praying, we long for God to cultivate within the culture of our church. One of those confident hopes is that we would have a culture of overflowing evangelism and frequent conversion. 
that we would see people coming to know Christ because we are sharing the message of the gospel with them. But that word overflowing is really important and it connects to what Jesus is saying here. I mean, what happens when something's overflowing? Right, if you have a cup or a bowl or, or you're filling up the bathtub for your kids and you forget or something like that, like it starts to overflow because it's gotten full and the, the, the edges of it, the, the borders of it have been breached and whatever's in there starts to flow out of it. Overflowing evangelism means that as you are captivated by Christ, as you abide in Jesus' love for you, as you experience joy in him, that what happens is the natural overflow of your life through your words and your, and your actions and your deeds will be to talk about Jesus. You, you can't help yourself. It just oozes out of you, it just overflows out of you in a natural way to testify to the amazing goodness and redeeming grace of our God in your life. It's not even something that you have to force. It just comes out because it's so much a focus of your life. And man, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for our church in 2021. That we would abide in Jesus' love and that it would overflow in our lives to those around us and we'd see people come to know Christ. That as we have joy in Jesus, so would others. Because see, the inverse is also true. Joylessness will never lead to fruitfulness. Joylessness in Jesus will never lead to fruitfulness. It will never lead for us to us growing in Christ, to becoming more like him. It will never lead to seeing our neighbors and the nations come to follow Jesus. So how do we get, go into this year striving to abide in Jesus? How do we go into this year striving to abide in his love for us so that it might overflow to others? Well, we can do what two other confident hopes say. Relentlessly pursue God through his word and persistently pray. It's in God's word that we're reminded of his grace and his love and his heart towards us. It's in God's word that we're reminded of his call and commands. It's in his word that we are seeing, and, and through his word that we see our minds and our hearts renewed and transformed. It's in his word that we're reminded that we are in this together. A community of the redeemed, a people of joy united with one another to make much of Jesus until he comes again or calls us home. Listen, the goal of Bible reading in your life is not just a box to check off. It isn't even about quantity or, or just gaining more information. I mean, of course, we learn more about God. We grow in our knowledge of him, but that's not even the primary purpose just for the sake of information. It's about relationship. That we actually get to spend time with the Father and with our Savior and with the Spirit as we soak in this word that he's given us, this living and active word that helps us understand and get to know and be in relationship with our living and active God. That we would actually pursue him through his word. If you and I are going to abide in Jesus and remain in his love, then we must relentlessly pursue him through his word. And we also must pray because it's in prayer that you and I get to respond to God's word, respond to him and what we learn. It's in prayer that we communicate with our father who loves us. It's in prayer that we plead for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. It's in prayer that we have communion with our savior who is with us and for us. So as you begin this year, how are you going to abide in Jesus and his love? What's that gonna look like in your life? How are you going to strive to walk in joyful obedience to your king? And I want you to listen. I don't care how old you are. 
It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for a really long time or maybe you're just checking out who he is or a new follower of Jesus. If you're five years old or 10 years old or 17 or 30, 40, 65, 70, it doesn't matter. What does that look like for you in your life to pursue your Savior and abide in him? There's lots of different ways that you can go about doing that. I just want to share a couple of things with you just to encourage you with it. My wife Amy this year said, you know what, I really want to read through the whole Bible. It's been a long time since I've read in one year through all of the scriptures. And there's a lot of different Bible reading plans that are out there that you can do that. But she found one that I think is really good. And so I'm going to do that along with her. And so I know some ladies in our community group are also doing it. It's a five-day Bible reading plan, which means that you get two catch-up days every week. I know for a lot of us, we do Bible reading. If you've done one before, it's like, man, I got crushed on day three. I'm out. Like, and I don't finish it. But this has built-in days for you to kind of catch up and walk through the scriptures. And it walks through the Bible chronologically in the Old Testament. And that can be challenging as well. If you've started in Genesis and you're rolling through, you're good for a little while. And then things start to get confusing. Because you're like, wait, First Chronicles, that sounds like what I just read in First Kings. What, why am I reading this again? And things just seem kind of out of order. Well, they line everything up chronologically so you can see the flow of the scriptures. And while you're reading the Old Testament, you're also reading a bit from the New Testament and the Psalms. And in a year, you'd get through the whole Bible. So I can send you this. I have an example of it right here. Obviously, you can't see this. But it has every week on here what you're supposed to read for five days. And every week, you can check that off, come back to it over and over again. If you want that, I can shoot out an email to you with the link for it. It's free. You can download it, print it off, and read through it. But again, this is just one example. There's lots of Bible reading plans out there. And maybe for you, you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I want to read through the whole Bible in a year. That's fine. You don't have to do that. But what are you going to do? What does pursuing God and his word look like for you? Maybe it's reading through one book of the Bible. Maybe it's reading through the Psalms every day. Or, or something like that. Just what is that thing you're going to do? How are you going to pursue God through his word? Let me also encourage you to find somebody else to read the Bible with. A lot of times I think we can feel lonely in this. Like when you're struggling to pick up God's word, like I'm the only one. And we need other people in our life to help us with that. Not just for the sake of accountability, but we learn more when we open up God's word together. So maybe that's with a family member or a roommate or a friend, someone in this community that you say, hey, can we read the Bible together? Just reading it with one another, talking about it with one another on a regular basis. Who is that someone for you? For those of you that have roommates or have families you're living together with, man, family devotion, family worship time is a great, a great thing to be doing as well, to think about how can I do this with the people I live with? They don't have to be your biological family. Maybe you have a roommate or two. Who's somebody you can get around how, after dinner or in the mornings or whenever it is, what is it going to look like for you to pursue Christ together? So think about those things. And the last thing, when I think about prayer, I just want to encourage you with this short little book here. We handed this out a few years ago at Sojourn. Some of, some of you may have this at home. So if you do, go dust it off and, uh, and read through it in this next week or two. I've got a few copies that I can give out today at the end of service. It's called Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Michael Reeves. And if you don't get one of the copies I have today, then you can go on Amazon. It's five bucks, I think, on Amazon. Or I'll buy one for you. Just let me know. I want you to get it. Um, it's a great short little book that helps you really do that. Actually enjoy your prayer life. That you, I mean, some of us just struggle to want to pray and actually see that as a place of joy. Well, he does a good job of talking about why that's the case and also helping us to get to that place. So make plans for that. Just think about how you can pursue God through his word and through prayer this year. And I want to challenge you to take ownership of that in your own life. 
and take ownership of that in one another's lives that you look out for one another. You'd help each other to experience the joy of abiding, not in some judgmental way, not kind of you're beating people over the head, but coming alongside, brother, sister, how are you pursuing God? What's that look like for you? Where are you struggling right now? How can I come alongside of you and encourage you? In other words, love one another like Jesus has loved you. In a world of distractions and difficulty, if we are going to be disciples who make disciples, we have to be disciples who remain in Jesus' love. In it, we find a sheltering presence. In it, we find a stabilizing force. Remember, abiding in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. And it's all for your joy, for his glory, and for the good of others. So together in 2021, may we be joyful abiders. As a first response to the preaching of the word, we're going to take communion together. And if you didn't grab the elements, they're out on the table in the lobby. You can get up in a moment and go grab those. But I'm thankful that this is our first response to talking about abiding. It's our first re- response before we sing, before we leave today. We're going to eat and drink this symbolic meal, a reminder and a spiritual refreshment of the love Jesus has for you. It gives you a chance, even in this moment, to abide in him right now. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And so as you do that today, as you eat and drink, may it lead you to repentance and rejoicing, to sorrow over your sin, but gratefulness for the grace of rescue that is yours because your friend Jesus laid down his life for you. And may it compel you to abide in him and abide in his love and go tell the world of your savior until he comes again. And if you don't yet know Christ, I'm so glad that you're here today. We just ask you not to take communion, but instead we want you to take Jesus. So if you don't yet know him, don't eat and drink today. Just pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. If you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, tell God that right now as well. And let somebody around you know that so we can help you walk with Christ in this life. For those of you that will take it, take it whenever you feel ready. The band's going to come back up in a moment and begin to play again. Take time to pray. Take time to reflect. Eat quickly. Drink quickly. Whatever the Spirit's leading you to do. And then let's stand and sing with one another. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you and we just pray, God, that you'd forgive us. That you'd forgive us when we have not joyfully abided in Jesus and his love. God, would you forgive us when we have come up with other excuses and reasons for that. And God, instead, I pray that this year would be different for us. That you'd help us by your spirit this year, this month, this week. Help us to fight for joy in Jesus. Help us to fight for joy in Jesus by relentlessly pursuing you through his word. Even if it just means for some of us for the first time just opening our Bibles this week. Coming up with a plan so we might pursue you in your word. Asking people to help us with that. God, help us to fight for joy in Jesus by persistently praying and pleading and asking you to work in us and through us and just spending time with you. God, we pray that you'd help us to abide and obey for our joy, for your glory, and for the good of others. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.